How many of you don't know who Tony the Tiger is? <laughs> okay. We've got these generational things going on now, so I'm always having to check so that I make sure of who's with us and who's not. Well, um, this morning, we want to continue series that was started at the beginning of the month, Flawed, Imperfect People Chosen by God. But I want to kind of do an in-round run to get us started today, um, and I want to ask you a question. It's rhetorical, so you don't have to answer it right now, but I do want you to consider it because it's a serious question, and, and you need to always be asking yourself this thing. What is it that God is doing? Now, keep in mind, and it, it struck me during worship this morning, I made a little note to myself, there's an awful lot that's going on right now around us. You realize that? You know what? First of all, let's just pray. Lord, we, we, we are grateful to be here. When we realize things that are going on other places all around the world, it is your kindness that allows us to be here this morning before you. We thank you for your presence here today, that you have been so gracious to give us access to your throne, access to your presence. And as such, Lord, we, we are here before you, longing now to hear that which you're saying to us, that which you would speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, we lean in. We lean in not just simply to, to listen, but to hear your voice, that we can internalize, act upon that which you would place before us so that your word can become flesh in our lives. Lord, I ask that you'd give us ears to hear. I ask that you would help me, Lord, that I can declare not only your word, but your heart as well. Lord, we anticipate, we expect your word because we understand that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So this morning, Lord, as we listen and as we declare, may we hear and receive from you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just want you to think for a minute all that's taken place just in the last few years, okay? Um, there was COVID, the pandemic. Seven million people, according to World Health Organization, and the numbers, you know, depending upon who you are and how you see them, are questionable, but 7 million people globally have died from COVID. A million in the United States. Show of hands, how many of you know someone who had COVID? How many of you know someone who died from COVID? Yeah, that's pretty serious. Then there's Ukraine and Russia. Um, I met a guy his name is Constantine, not too long ago. Um, gifted artist. And I was watching him do some work, and he was telling me about his best friend um, who was in the military in Ukraine. Constantine, by the way, is from Ukraine. He's telling me about his best friend who's from the Ukraine. And his best friend is in the military, his best friend is an officer, and his best friend was missing. They hadn't heard from him. And they were very concerned about him because in, in Russia, uh, as in many places when wars take place, officers in particular are kind of a high prize. And so abuse, torture, imprisonment. His friend was missing. Now, I don't know any. Oh, yes, I do. I have a good friend whose son is from here in the U.S. and who is being deployed to Eastern Europe. 
Then there's Israel. For any of you who've been around the Lord long enough and your eschatology majors, you have all of those conversations. Israel always factors into that stuff, doesn't it? You know, what God is doing in Israel, what, what's going to take place. Do you realize what's happening in Israel right now? That's pretty, pretty incredible stuff going on. Then there is um, uh, the fentanyl thing. How many have died from that? Then we got the stuff going on at the border, and we got all of the racial stuff going on, and we got all of the violence things going on. And keep in mind, those are not things that have happened over the last 40 or 50 years. Those are things that have happened in the last three years. Did you ever think in your life you would be facing all of this stuff all at one time? How many of you feel a little overwhelmed by everything that's going on. You kind of feel like, I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to read newspapers. I don't want any more bad news. Well, my question then is, in light of all of that, what is it that God is doing? Huh. Now, consider this as just simply not a theologian, just an ordinary person. If God were to come up, if someone were to come up to you and say, just as, a, as, as someone who's just Joe off the street, what's God doing? Would you feel comfortable giving them an answer? Do you even know the answer to that question? I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff. You look at it, you think, what in the world is going on? Well, This thing I do know in terms of what God is doing. He's redeeming man and he is extending his reign. He's redeeming man so that man can glorify him and he's extending his reign. Now, those are two things that we know are at the top of God's list. He wants us to glorify him. Was that not in the garden? Made us in his image and according to his life. Why? So that we could be like him. And then he gave us the job to do that he does in all of the universe. He says, I want you to what? Reign on the earth. So that's the thing that's taking place today. In light of all of those other things that's taking place, God hasn't checked out, by the way. He's very much involved in all of these things, and they are distant from us. The reason I ask how many people of you know folks who either had COVID or died from that is that that took that thing that was far away, and you know what it did? It brought it very, very, very close. The Palmers and I have a friend, that, uh, a gentleman that I've known for a lot of years who passed away two years ago from COVID. Now, you can debate the legitimacy or the illegitimacy of all of those issues all you want. But the bottom line remains the same. He's not here today because of this thing. And so all of those things that are so far away that we want to hide out from, they're not out there. They're in here, and we're a part of all of that. And that thing that God is doing touches all of us really close. I, I, I don't kind of want to lay a downer on you, but I don't want us to kind of put our head in the sand and pretend that these are things that are not going on because they, they really are taking place. Now, the thing is, with what God is doing, he's redeeming man so that man can glorify himself and that man can extend his reign. Who does he want to use? <laughs> Categorically, you know who God uses? Ordinary folk. Last week, Jordan shared with us about Jacob. Week before, Pastor Michelle shared with us about Sarah. I'm here to talk today with you about David. Let me ask you a question. Um, what do Sarah and Jacob 
and David all have in common. Because they were all... They were all flawed. That's exactly right. They were all flawed. They were broken. They were sinful. Um, You consider for a minute, Sarah, whose idea was it for her husband to sleep with another woman and then blamed him for the outcome of that? (laughs) And then who was it that deceived not only his brother, but his father also? Flawed, broken, conned his brother, manipulated him. We got these flaws, these sins, this broken brokenness. Show of hands, is there anyone here who does not have flaws? Show of hands. then that leads me to another question. If you have flaws, brokenness, and sins, do you know what they are? Show of hands, how many have one? Two. Three. More than five. Okay? That being the case, how many of you feel inadequate because of all of that to do the things that God's called you to do. You bump up against your stuff and it makes you hesitant to kind of want to walk in some some areas because I got this, this stuff that's taking place. Well, I want to want you to take just a few minutes. I want you to hear something that can kind of ease some of that so that you realize God doesn't use superstars. We live in a celebrity culture. And in a celebrity culture, we got LeBron, we got all of these, we got athletes, actresses, politicians, rich people, all kinds of folks that are here that we see all the time. But that's not who God uses. Just just watch and listen for a moment.
song is 50 years old. It was sung by a woman who is now with the Lord. But it's an awesome reminder that it's just ordinary people. People who have a lot of stuff. My friend who's with the Lord, now the one who passed away from, from COVID, He used to say, we all got a bag of rocks that we got to carry. I got a big bag of rocks, folks. We all have a bag of rocks. And when you look at the enormity of what's going on in the world that we live in, God's solution to dealing with with all of this stuff, as overwhelming and as, as big as it seems, you and me, with our bag of rocks. And that bag's pretty heavy at times. Because you're aware of it. Sometimes we try to cover it. Pretend it's not there, but it's there. And it'll stop us cold from doing the things that God calls us to do because we feel inadequate. I do want to talk about David, and I will, I'll get to him in a moment. But I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians, beloved. Just, just listen. I was frustrated once, and I... Asked the Lord, I said, God, why do you use us? We're all messed up. How can you bless what we do? Because we all are so messed up. And I ran across this. I want to share it with you this morning. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, it says, First, consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has 
chosen. Say with me, chosen. chosen. It's an important word. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is all of those things that we are not. He outweighs and overcomes and overwhelms our bag of rocks for us. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. How many of you have at times, even previous to now or now, have not felt particularly wise? How many have at some point not felt particularly mighty or very strong? How about noble? How many of your times feel just a little foolish, <laughs> even when it comes to the things of God? Okay? How many of you feel weak and not able to confront these big and powerful things that are going on. You just feel too small, too insignificant. What about those who are feel like you're without any estimable personal qualities? I just have very little or no value. How about those who are feeling inadequate? and unqualified to serve God's purposes. You know, it's funny. For so many of us, we don't feel like we're at the front of the line when it comes to talent and strength and gifts and all of those, but we feel like we're way, way, way at the back of the line. How many of you have felt that way? Well, there is that thing that I wanted you to repeat, chosen, because that's the operative word, chosen. Do you realize, beloved, that God chooses from the bottom of the deck? Isn't that good news? He chooses from the bottom of the deck. He doesn't take the ones that are on the top. He takes the stuff that's off the bottom. Why does he do that? He does that because then your boast can't be in what you do. Your boast then is in him. Why? Because you understand, God, you're the one who has to do this stuff in me. Lawanda and I were going through some things some years ago. We were really just feeling thrown aside and just useless and helpless and powerless. And we sat in a meeting where Brother Wellington Boone was preaching. And he made a statement. Many of you don't know who Wellington is, and I won't take the time to explain to you who he is. He's just a dear man to me. And he said, you know, God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called. And Lawanda and I looked at each other and we just wept because we felt that way. Lord, we're not qualified, but you will qualify us. And that was very, very good news. I have another friend, George Otis. We were, we were having lunch once and he says, you know what? There's nobody in the Bible saved Jesus who hasn't at some point in time been an embarrassment to God. It's true. It's true. Everybody that God has used has been an embarrassment to him. And he's the one, guess what, fans, who chose them. What does that tell you about God's confidence 
in working out his purposes in and through you. Now, I want to get a little technical for just a moment here and talk about this word flawed. Got a definition. Flaw, a feature that mars the perfection of something. Flaws point to perfections, and what flaws say is, you ain't there. You don't have that. It mars the perfection of something. It's a defect. It's a fault. Show of hands, how many got flaws today? Some folks got two hands up. That's me. I got lots of flaws. I always felt out of step with all the brothers I used to walk with years ago. I felt like I was, <laughs> I felt like I was the black sheep among them. I was literally the black sheep because <laughs> I was the only one like me. But it's like all of these other glory boys, they had all of this stuff going on, and then there was me. And all of my stuff always showed up, and I was always the one who needed, and I was always the one, and it was like, yep, 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 always reminded of my flaws. But God chooses weak and foolish and base and despised things. Now, David, David, case in point, in Acts chapter, chapter 13, and I want to actually go back and look at just for a few moments, just the actual story of this. But in Acts 13, verse 21, says, this is, this is uh, uh, talking about Saul. It says, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Verse 22, after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. When you go back and you take a look at the story of, 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 of David, the first thing you gotta, you got to come to grips with is the situation with Saul. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it says, this is after Israel wants a king, just to give you a little bit of the backstory. Israel wants to be like the other nations. They want a king. And so God consents to give them a king, and Saul is raised up. Now, the Bible says that Saul stood head and shoulders above everything else. Saul's thing was, he was tall. When you looked at everybody, the one that you saw was Saul. Outwardly, he, just, he, was, he had all the right stuff. And he reigned for 40 years, but Saul had other issues. And I won't go into all of his issues, but there was a point in time when Saul violated on numerous occasions the things that God wanted. So in 1 Samuel 13, uh, God addresses that because he removes Saul. He says in verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you, Saul, have not kept what the Lord commanded you to do. God was looking for someone else to replace Saul, and he found someone, someone after God's own heart. I like that phrase, someone after God's own heart, because what that speaks of, it says someone who carries God's heart, someone who possesses God's heart, and someone... who has God in his heart. God, my heart is toward you. My heart is toward your purposes. Someone who will do your will. And you know what it says? God chooses that person. Just a couple chapters down in 1 Samuel 13, this is where we see David come into play. I'm just going to read several verses through there so that we can run and, 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 and finish this off, because I want to talk a little bit about David's rocks. But it says, uh, 
Chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected, listen to what I've chosen, I've selected a king for myself among his sons. Verse 3, you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Verse 6, then they entered. Jesse comes, he brings his seven sons. They entered, he looked at Eliab. Eliab was the oldest of the sons. In, in Eastern culture, who got the blessing first? It was always the oldest. So that was the pecking order. So Eliab was the oldest one. He says, uh, I, he looked at Eliab and, and thought, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of, height of his stature. Remember, Saul is tall. So don't look at his appearance, Samuel, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In verse 10, thus Jesse made his sons pass before Samuel. He brought all seven of his sons before Samuel. But Samuel, thank you. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all these the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for he will not sit down until he comes here. Verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he, the one who wasn't in the original seven, the one that the daddy forgot about. Anoint this one. This is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. David was at the bottom of the deck. David was at the back of the list. And in that search... Here's what the Lord uncovered, and here's what you and I need to understand. Man looks at the outward appearance. God is looking at the heart. We look at observable things. Appearance, education, wealth, refinement, accomplishment. We look at the best and the brightest God's just simply looking for a heart that's toward him. That's the thing. When he finds a person whose heart is toward him, all of that other stuff can get worked out. But he's looking at a heart. I don't want to discount the other things. But let me tell you something, beloved. When your heart is perfect toward God, he's your creator. He'll shape and mold you to become everything that you need to be for the thing you need to do. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. When a heart is perfect toward God, it's responsive toward him. David was just a kid, 16 years old, when this took place, when he got anointed. 16. Goes on, he defeats Goliath. Mary, Saul's daughter later on, becomes a hero. He achieves all of these things, but he had his bag of rocks. And I just real quickly want to touch some of that stuff just so that you understand that he's like you. He's got stuff in his bag. He's got these rocks that he's got to overcome and these things that he doesn't do well. Um, uh, uh, at, at one point in 1 Samuel uh, 16, actually 1 Samuel 16 to 2 Samuel 10, everybody's been given assignments. I noticed Jordan did that last week. Pastor Michelle did it this uh, week before. I'm going to give you an assignment. 
Read 1 Samuel 16 through 2 Samuel 10. Actually, uh, 2 Samuel 24. Yeah, give you a bigger reading assignment. But here's the thing. David's a holy warrior at one point. But then in his bag of rocks, when you look in 2 Samuel 11, armies go out to war. Guess what David should have been doing as the king? He was supposed to go out to war. You know what he did? He stayed home. He stayed in the palace. He didn't go out to war. Early on, he marries Michal, who was Saul's daughter, honorably. David stays home. Uh, later on, doesn't go out to war. He's up on the balcony. He looks over, and what does he see? He sees Bathsheba. And what's she doing? She's taking a bath. So he watches the whole thing. You know the end of that story. What's it end up with? Adultery. Bag of rocks. Several times, David protects Saul early on when he has opportunity to kill him. He protects him. But when Bathsheba gets pregnant, you know what he does? He plots her husband Uriah's death. Bag of rocks, flaws. He's decisive early on, a great warrior and, and, and general and king. But because of all of that, there are now issues in his family. Let me say this about David. David was a pretty lousy father. Amnon, Absalom, his sons are involved in these things, and David really doesn't do much to address the issues. So this stuff now visits itself upon David's house. And Absalom in particular was a scoundrel because he ultimately looked to overthrow his dad. All of this stuff is going on. Great king, lousy dad. Let me tell you something, men. You can be accomplished in your job. You can be accomplished in ministry. Especially you men who have young children that you're raising. You better do it well. I don't care how successful you get in ministry, in leadership, at work. What will end up defining you will be what takes place in your family with your kids. David's bag of rocks. Effectively, he prays after he becomes king, but then this baby that, that he and Bathsheba have, he prays for that, and guess what happens to the baby? It dies. He's ineffective in prayer. Faces mighty large armies early on, but then gets filled with fear and pride later on, 2 Samuel, and he takes a census. Cost the whole nation. 70,000 men died as a result of all of that. Thousands are attracted to David early on, but when Absalom rises up, this thing that's going on, his bag of rocks and the residual effect in his family, thousands abandon David. And yet, he's a man after God's own heart. I want to read something to you, and largely in closing, I want to just share this with you. When David sinned, Because remember now, he's not perfect. He's committed adultery. He's committed murder. He's a horrible father. But when he's confronted with his sin, I want you just to hear. Hear the prayer of this man whose heart is toward God. Psalm 51, just listen. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear, to know, to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you did not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. That is from a man whose heart is after God. He's not a perfect man. He's got a bag of rocks but his heart is toward God. And God says, I will choose him. What God saw in David, and my prayer is this morning, I want to pray for those of you who have your bag of rocks. What God saw, and may this be your checklist, in David, he saw a man of abiding faith who was wholly committed to the Lord. God saw a man who depended upon the Lord for strength and guidance, not himself. What God saw was a man who would recognize his sin and failure and repent and ask God for forgiveness. Forgiveness. Understand, folks, we have brokenness, we have flaws, we have sins, we have failures. Don't try to justify. Don't try to cover it up. Confess, repent, ask forgiveness. What God saw in David was a man who loved his Lord and who worshiped with all his being. Sometimes your stuff will keep you from worshiping. You'll feel, God, I'm not worthy. Well, you know, settle the issue, you're not worthy. It's Christ and his blood that's given you access and given me access. It's made us worthy. What God saw in David was a man who experienced God's cleansing and forgiveness. I'll tell you something. I would rather, I would rather know a man who's known failures and weaknesses and hit walls, who know the forgiveness of God, than to meet folks who are in their own self-righteousness, hiding and justifying their sin, who want to hold up a standard that can never be attained to. Used to say, never trust a man that doesn't walk with a limp. What God saw in David was a man who understood the depths of God's love for him. When you have wept before God because of your stuff and you understand his love toward you. I can't resist this. I just need to share it with you. I had to confess some stuff to a pastor once, and it was like, it was the hardest thing that I could do. It was like, oh man, I just, we'd come off of a conference, and I was a worship leader for 10 years. The, the, the worship went well. Everything went well after the conference, but I remember the day after I had to go and say, man, this is just stuff going on in my life, and I just, and it was just the hardest thing, and I was expecting a rebuke. And he heard, and the grace of God filled the room, after I just shared all of, all of my stuff and he handed me an envelope. <laughs> and I thought, I was confused because I was waiting for the rebuke. And an envelope came. I opened the envelope and I, there was a check in it. I saw a five 
And I thought, oh, nice, $50. And I looked again, and there was another zero. And I realized, this is the grace of God. It's the love of God. It didn't justify my stuff. It exemplified his love. You ever been in a place where you're expecting the judgment to come and you found the love of God extended to you and it kind of confused you for a minute? I've had those. Any of you had those times in life? David was a man who understood the depths of God's love for him. What God saw in David was a man with a sincere and personal relationship with his creator. You can't actually saw all of that before he called David because he caused the end of a thing from the beginning. So he was aware. He was aware. Mark, God knew all of your stuff before he called you. Kevin, Blaine, he saw all of your stuff all of the stuff that you didn't want anybody to see before he called you. Because he saw the things in your heart and he said, this is a woman after my own heart. Who in spite of all of the other things that are going on, that she's working out, her heart is toward me. His heart is toward my purposes. He feels the lot about this thing the way that I do. God choose? He chooses those who have all of your bags of rocks, but whose heart is perfect toward him. Why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you, and then I want us to actually close in prayer. I want to shift directions, but I, I just want to Pray these things and declare them over you, Rockside Church. Father, it's you who chooses. It's you who in your place, in eternity, you call the end of a thing from the beginning. You see each of us. Nothing is hidden before Everything is done in full sight of you. And you saw those things before the foundations, and yet you called us and you chose us. And so, Father, my prayer over these who are here today is that you would see is that you would raise up men and women here who would recognize their sin, their failure, but who would repent and ask for your forgiveness. Who would carry a broken and a contrite heart. I pray, Father, that, that you would cause these men and women 
to love you and to worship you with all of their being, that they would be men and women who would experience your cleansing and your forgiveness. Father, may they know your discipline, but may it be to them not a thing to be feared and to run from, but to lean into and embrace, because it is the sign of your fatherhood and your love toward them. You discipline every son that you love. May they not cower nor run from that, but may they lean in. May they be men and women who understand the depths of your love for them. That they might receive from your good hand your kindness, your love, your grace, your mercy. My prayer, Father, in Jesus' name is that they would seek and seek and seek sincere, personal, intimate relationship one-on-one -on -one with you, their creator, their father, their Lord. Lord, do a work in each heart, in each life, that at the end of the day, their heart would be after you, in spite of everything else, even as David, his heart was always toward you. May their heart always be toward you, Lord, their creator, to serve you more than anything. And Lord, as their hearts inwardly are after you, may you work out in their lives all of the other issues that in every way they might look increasingly like you, that their righteousness would shine and that you would use them powerfully in their spheres of influence that they might affect this darkness that we are all in and that we might shine brightly in it. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.